Hey everyone, this is Greg. And before we start the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Our first sponsor is Cloud MLX from, you guessed it, Lone Wolf Technologies. Your MLS system needs a dust off, an upgrade, a fresh perspective. With Cloud MLX, the creative team at Lone Wolf have done just that. It's a redo under the premise, what if I could search my MLS like Google? You don't need to replace your existing MLS system software. Just provide Cloud MLX as the easy MLS search solution to your members. They will love you for it. Check out Cloud MLX and the rest of the Cloud Agent Suite at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce from Rob Hahn, the Notorious ROB, comes the Notorious VIP. As a Notorious VIP member, you'll get exclusive access to Rob's intelligent analysis, written and audio commentary, plus op-ed style articles. The Notorious VIP is a monthly or yearly subscription for those in the industry that want to go a few levels deeper. So please sign up at notorious-rob.com. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks again for listening. And now on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to, I believe this is the first Industry Relations of 2021 with Rob and Greg. Uh, this is your co-host, the notorious Rob Hahn. And on the uh, other line, I have the fabulous and now very rich Mr. Greg Robertson. <laughs> I made Greg laugh. I made Greg laugh before he got to me. Bonjour, yeah. Rob. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Uh, I know you're shaking your head, but hey, look, you know, we just got to call it like it is, <laughs> you know, so uh, I know we should banter a little bit, but uh, unfortunately, I had some technical difficulties. So I'm a little late. So I thought we would just go right into introducing. We have a very, very special guest with us today. Very I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's Laura Farley from the Virginia Association of Realtors. Uh, hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really, really excited to do this. Oh, you, you, we're far more excited because, you know, we've been talking about this, uh, you know, 10-5 and all the things and we're like, we're morons. We're just kind of speculating. So maybe for the audience, you could give a little bit of background, you know, a little bit of uh, what you do at Virginia, how you got to there. You sure. Know. So I am general counsel at Virginia Realtors. For those of you that aren't legal geeks or in the legal community, that means that I am the head attorney for the association. I have been with Virginia Realtors for six and a half years now. And before that, I was with the Northern Virginia Association of Realtors for four years. So I tell people I've been doing realtor-related law stuff for 10 and a half years now. I started in July of 2010. (laughs) Um, And when I was at the Northern Virginia Association of Realtors, they have, at the time, they had about 13,000 members. So they were a very large association also in the DC suburbs. So it was a very litigious group that liked to fight over every little thing. So (laughs) we had a lot of professional standards cases that would come through. And that was one of my responsibilities there. And while I don't handle professional standards cases for the state association, I do supervise the attorney that does. So I'm very involved in professional standards. And I have a, a lot of experience under my belt from the time I jokingly tell people one of the reasons I left the uh, local association for the state was because I wanted to get away from all the professional standards cases that we had. The volume just took up too much of my time. I wanted to be able to do some other things. So basically, I feel like it's hard to find anyone more expert 
more experience in the area of professional standards and how the new NAR changes code of ethics would affect people. So we're so happy, so excited that you uh, you, you agreed to come answer our questions and talk to us. Sure, right. uh, I will try and answer. I will answer every question, whether yeah. it's an answer that helps you understand the uh, the issue may or may not be the the case. So, well, so first of all, let's begin with you know how I sort of learned about you is because I think I saw the Facebook video that the Virginia Realtors had put up where yep. you had done this amazing video, just kind of explaining some of the details, you know, of like this thing and how it works and what is and isn't. And, and as you know, you know, this has been pretty controversial. It has. So maybe, uh, I, I don't know, maybe we could like link to it, Greg, in the, yes, absolutely. In the description and whatnot. You know, if anyone's listening, if they wanted to find that, would they just go to the Virginia Realtors page? Where would uh, they find you, that video? Yep, Virginia Realtors, we actually have a section on our website that has all of our resources for the new updates to the Code of Ethics. And the Facebook Live I did is linked there. Or if you search Great. for Virginia Realtors on Facebook uh, and you look through the videos, I want to say that I did it- December-ish? Uh, it was, I think it was mid-November, November, roughly okay. mid-November. And so you'll just kind of have to scroll back through maybe some of the other videos to come across it. All right. So, but given that, maybe you could give us a little bit, you know, like abbreviated version of what you told your members sure about thing. these changes. Sure thing. So there are three changes. One of them is kind of technical. One of them is substantive. And the other one is, uh, it's a change, but most people aren't really worried about it. And the, the technical change deals with one of the statements of policy. And it that changed the statement of policy says that the code of ethics can now apply to everything a realtor does, whether it's related to real estate activities or not. Now, everybody always gets very, very worried about that. Oh my gosh, every part of the code of ethics applies to everything. And since article one says that we have to be honest and truthful, does that mean I can't tell my best friend a little white lie about how that dress looks on her? And the answer to that is no. Most of the articles of the Code of Ethics very specifically reference clients, customers, or real estate transactions. So for a large part of the 17 articles of the Code of Ethics, it really is still only for real estate transactions. But that change was necessary to get us to the new standard of practice in Article 10. And the new standard of practice in Article 10, which is the fair housing article essentially, says that realtors must not use harassing speech, hate speech, epithets, or slurs based on, and then it lists all the various protected classes under the code of ethics. And the thought behind this particular edition was it's inconceivable that somebody could post something that is hate speech or use a racial slur or something like that, you know, at midnight when they are tweeting away or they're posting on Facebook and then get up at eight o'clock the next morning and truly offer equal services to somebody in that protected class. There's just this disconnect that if these are your beliefs and you're so deeply held that you're posting about them on social media or, or talking about them, then the chances of you providing equal services is just inconceivable. So I do want to really emphasize though, that it has to be tied to one of the protected classes. And it's not just bad words. It's not just mean things. It's not something that's offensive it has to be tied to the protected class. And, and political parties are not are not a protected class. They are not. But a quick question about that. So just to yeah. make sure. Yeah. The protected classes, are they, like who defines that? Are they coming from, you know, like a government uh, direct, like where does that come right. from? So Article 10 of the Code of Ethics, it's a great question. Article 10 of the Code of Ethics actually lists the protected classes. And those are race, color, religion, 
sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity. So states and localities may have additional ones, but these are the only ones that we're worried about with this new change to the code. But the one that I guess I'm curious about is like the gender identity one. That's Mm -hmm. not a federally protected class as far as I'm aware, right? It is not. NAR has their own list of protected classes. Right. So So the idea there is that NAR could itself define protected classes without saying, look, only these protected classes that are in the law are protected. No, no, right. we can define our own. Right. And, and the reason for that is NAR talks about realtors are holding themselves to a higher standard and, and are supposed to be better than just an average real estate licensee. And so that's why uh, a lot of the protected categories in Article 10 of this uh, Code of Ethics were intended to be more inclusive than states. Although I will Mm -hmm. say that a lot of states have started to expand and cover sexual orientation and gender identity. Sure. Those were added here in Virginia last year, but that's kind of the thought there is that NAR wants to have their members offering even more services to more protected classes than just a regular old real estate licensee. So in theory, NAR could you know, say political parties is a protected class, even though no state law, no federal law, nothing anywhere says that. In theory, they could do something in, like that. In theory, they could. They'd have to change okay. the code of ethics. The example I always give, you, you may not be able to see it clearly in the video, and those of you listening can't see it at all. I have freckles. And so I, well, I used to always talk about, let's let's protect polka-dotted people uh, as, as our new <laughs> category of, of protected classes, right? And so that's one that kind of always makes people laugh. But if that's what NAR wanted to do, they could pick political parties. They could add age. They could add whether you're a student or not, whether you're active duty military. There's a lot mm-hmm. of categories that they could add, right. but it, it would require a change to the code of ethics. So there'd be okay. plenty of notice of that. Okay. And I just wanted to make sure that it's not like the protected classes have to be from some government thing right. and then NAR adopts it. No, it's, this yep. is the NAR zone. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Continue. No, no, that's quite all right. Uh, and it's really interesting that you asked about the political parties, not only because of what happened recently in Washington, DC, but the example I gave when I was doing my video that you saw, there is a jogging path located near my house and somebody keeps spray painting political messages all over it. And one of the examples is they post things about libtards And that would not be covered by this because political parties are not covered. Somebody did point out that using TARD can be seen as discrimination against somebody who has a handicap, but it's, you know, that's something that could be very offensive to somebody, but it wouldn't be covered because political parties are not currently covered. So again, it has to be one of the, the specific protected categories that are in the code of ethics. And Again, it has to be something that is not just offensive to an individual, but it has to be something that is motivated by one of those and is intended to harm somebody in that category. So if somebody is just says, well, I don't like that you call yourself a polka dotted person, Laura. Well, that's even if that was a protected category, just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's going to be hate speech, harassing speech, epithets or slurs. And it would be really weird if NAR would, I never can see that because they are basically at a, at a core level, a lobbying organization, right? So, so to them, I think to ever even breach the fact of like, you can't, you know, write anything about um, either party or something or get into that kind of thing would be kind of crazy, right? Well, but then again, they are a, you know, they always talk about being, they are not Democrats or Republicans, they're a realtor party. Mm-hmm. Um 
But I, I don't know that I would necessarily see them saying no, because it would be saying you can't refuse to work with somebody because they are a Democrat or because they're a Republican mm-hmm, or because mm-hmm. they're independent. That sure. would be the level of protection, which again, I mean, that's uh, unfortunately, I think we're starting to see there are some people that are refusing to work with others, not in the real estate industry, but just in, in commerce generally because of their political affiliations. Sure. All right. So I have like so many questions. I'm going to wait until you kind of do the broad overview. Uh, <laughs> sure. First. Uh, well, and that's the that's the big part of the change is that change, the new standard of practice 10-5. And yep. then there was a change to um, the definition of public trust. And the only yep. reason that matters is if you are engaged in willful discrimination, fraud that results in substantial economic harm, or in basically theft, and you're found in violation of the code of ethics, then the Realtor Association must report that to the state licensing authority if it involved a real estate transaction. So if we have a case that comes in, it's clear that there's a violation that somebody discriminated in a real estate transaction based on a protected class, they committed basically a fair housing violation, then we as the association are required to, to tell the state licensing authority about that. Right. Um, Again, that's that's kind of a technical, that's that's something that isn't going to impact a whole lot of people. In my 10 years, I think I've only seen two public trust cases. And I've been the prof- I've been the staff person on probably 600 cases. So we're mm-hmm. we're talking about it being a pretty rare thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I think that's pretty much the broad yeah, overview, yeah. right? Yeah. And again, anybody that has uh, you know, more questions, I would encourage you to go to the Virginia Realtors page, look at the video that Laura made. You know, obviously, uh, we'll ask, you know, Laura, kind of where you could find her if you want to grab, get a hold of her, all of that. Plus, you know, chances are your own local and state associations have very competent counsel that you could probably ask as well. Having said that, I had like all these like little detailed yeah, questions. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get Laura on. So let me start <laughs> with the first one. And there's something I wrote, you know, uh, when I first wrote about this whole thing. You know, as everyone knows, like I'm, I'm not like an opponent of 10-5, but I, I actually think there was a better alternative. But we'll, we'll leave that to the side. One of the things I sort of talked about was the 10-5 uses the word use, not publish or advertise or mm-hmm. communicate, but it's use, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was significant. I mean, Laura, am I crazy? Is that significant? Is that not significant? Well, can you put it in the context so that people can understand, you know, what? Sure. Sure. It's a basic standard of practice 10-5, the way it reads, right? The way it reads is realtors must not use harassing speech, hate speech, epithets, slurs based on race, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it wasn't must not publish, must not communicate, it was use. And I thought that was significant because what that said to me was, if you use a racial slur, hate speech, epithet in personal conversation, right? Like with Mm -hmm. someone, that's use, right? It is. It is. And the other thing that I thought was, and it was a question, and I, I, but I could sort of make the argument, if I repost an NWA song because I actually really like it, if I repost Tupac, I feel like that's use or it would cover that. Well, so I think that, and I'm going to try and divine what NAR was doing. Uh, I will tell you that when lawyers get involved, we tend to wordsmith and overthinking. I will acknowledge that. Yeah. I think that the the thought between the word use is then they didn't have to write publish, speak, you know, go through every possible iteration. Um, I will tell you that I, I did reach out to NAR for clarification because 
courts interpret speech to include images, Mm -hmm. um, whereas standard dictionary definition would not necessarily. And so I think when they went with use, the, the thought was that way we don't have to talk about whether it was written, whether it was spoken, whether it was interpretive danced, whatever it is, when we just say use, we mean you used it. Now, Rob, to your point of, if I share uh, a song that has epithets epithet yeah. or a slur yeah. in it, is that going to be a problem? And I'm going to say no for two reasons. Um, the first is that's not you using it, right? Mm-hmm. That's the artist who's performing using that word, not you. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, NAR has made it very clear in all of their resources and their videos and everything else that there are no words that are automatically a violation. It's the context in which they are used. And Mm -hmm. in the the phrase that keeps being used by NAR staff and volunteers is is weaponizing, that you Mm -hmm. haven't weaponized a word or a phrase. And um, Virginia Realtors has a presidential advisory group on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I presented to them on this topic. And I had somebody ask me and say, you know, there are certain phrases that if you, Laura, as a white woman were to use them would be offensive, but within a specific community, those words are terms, almost terms of endearment. Mm -hmm. And I said, and that's exactly the point that there are words that I, as a straight white woman cannot use that are acceptable in other communities. The LGBTQ community has words and phrases that it's acceptable for them to use with each other that somebody who is cisgendered may not be able to use without it being offensive. Similarly, ethnic communities may have words or phrases that they can use within their community that are not offensive when used in certain contexts. So the fact that it's used in a song, I'm saying you didn't use it and it's not being used in a way to to harm or harass another person, right? If you're not directing it to somebody, you're just posting and saying, here's my latest earworm. What do you guys think of this song? That's not intended to hurt or harass or harm another person. So it wouldn't be, even if they were going to say you did use that word that was in the lyrics, you weren't using it in a way that was intended to try and and harm another person. But I think that's where the controversy arises, right? Because there are two things here. One is, and I'm going to return to first, what you said, it depends on the speaker's identity as opposed to you know, the communication itself, right? right? So, I mean, frankly put, basically what it comes down to is black people, black realtors have more speech rights than white realtors. In certain in certain circumstances, right? because I mean, it's not yeah. just about the person, it's about their intent and how it's used. And it right. is possible for a black or a person of color to use hate speech against another person of color or even against a white person or an Asian person or a Hispanic person. And so, there are words that I can't use that can be used by people of color, but then there may be words that I could use that they would, would be weaponized by one of them. But see, that's, and but again, I think that's one of the areas of controversy, right? The idea that based on your identity, you have more speech rights than others. That's one. But the second thing, and it goes to this is, what we're asking is for, you know, essentially local grievance committees and those, or even state level Right. To do this like incredibly difficult digging into intent, right? Yes. Yep. And that entire exercise can only be entirely subjective. Yep. Right. And I think, and I'm sure you've already heard this from you know hundreds, thousands of your members. I feel like the concern from those on the right is that this is going to get weaponized against them, speaking of using the word weaponized. Right. So then I think we can sort of look at this by looking at 
like real these edge cases because you know we lawyers love to do these edge cases that will never happen. It's entirely <laughs> hypothetical, but it does kind of dick get right. at this, yeah. right? Yeah. If a realtor goes out and shares a meme, right? Mm-hmm. Something like you know retweets uh, or something, right? You're yeah, about. kill all the Jews, right? And retweets that, mm-hmm. you know, and just says, "Hey, I approve this message," right? Right. That's no good. Correct. I mean, I, I right. It's, I, but I think it's, that most people would say that's no good. That's no good. Or, or at least I think most people would agree that would be a violation. Some people may approve of that message, but I think that most people would agree right. that that violates the the intent here. But you say, but if they retweet like a song, right? That is mm-hmm. entirely the same thing. I approve of this message. Somehow now we got to get into what is the intent here, right? I mean, what if they just, what if they retweet without saying, I retweet? Anything. I, yeah, anything. Uh, anything. Is that, Share is that a violation? Yes. yes. And, and I will tell you that is something that my team has struggled with internally because as we have started training our grievance committee, our professional standards committee, and our board of directors, we're getting these questions. And it is going to be very difficult. I, I I will say, Rob, you kind of said, well, we're going to have to figure out what somebody's intent was. And, and some of the articles of the Code of Ethics, we do already have to do that. Article 16 prevents uh, realtors from going, quote unquote, going behind the sign, right? You can't interfere with somebody's, their existing agency relationship. And a hearing panel will have to determine what was your intent? Did you actually intend to do this or not? Mm-hmm. And there are very few, there are some, but there are very few respondents that come in and say, yep, I admit that I did that. And yep, I admit I shouldn't have and may call for, please forgive me. There are some, but not many. Most people come in and say, I didn't do that. I didn't intend that, or I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that a lot of professional standards people have already gotten experience with looking at intent and looking at the surrounding circumstances And, you know, one of the things that we've been talking with our committees about is in the beginning, if you think there's a violation to focus on education, right? If it's a close case, focus on educating the person as opposed to punishing them for $15,000 fine. But here's, so then I guess maybe this, I'll phrase this point in the form of a question. If that is the way it is, do you believe that NAR should explicitly reject the implicit bias idea. In other words, when you say you're going to dig into intent, NAR, you know, local realtors, mm-hmm. local decision makers must absolutely reject the quote implicit bias, systemic racism, that white people cannot help implicit bias. Do they need to actually re- reject that explicitly to say we have to show real voluntary intent? It can't be you t- retweeted this thing, you're white, so therefore you have all this implicit bias. Because this is the theory, right, that the people on the right are terrified of, right? That they say something innocent and all of a sudden you're racist. So I'm going to say something that you will very rarely hear from an attorney, and that is, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Right? I'll acknowledge you don't hear that very often. And and I would need to think about it a little bit and, and, and kind of dig into it. What you said there, Laura, on the video and what you said earlier, it's... The main thing about these things is is from NAR, from the association level, is is an education. Mm-hmm. This isn't some, you know, some sort of panel that, you know, fee panel that wants to punish people, right? I think it's coming from an angle of if this happens, we want to make sure that the realtor understands what happened and we can educate them and then hopefully they will not do it again, right? It's not a, right. it's not a gotcha and it's self, it's self-policing. These are her, their peers, that are yeah. coming in here, right? So, Greg, Greg, so here's the thing, man. You got to understand the yeah, perspective okay. of the people on the right, right? 
And I know you hate them and you just want to see them dead. What do you dead. mean to hate them? <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Otherwise, we wouldn't have chat. Yes. But you know, th this is the concern of the people on the right, you know, which is that the leftist realtors would use things like implicit bias, would use these theories that have been advanced in recent years right. to say, you said this thing that was entirely innocent, right? And the example that I use was like, like I'm Korean, right? So I've hung out with friends and they're like, oh man, that kimchi just smells yeah. awful, right? And I just laugh it off. But like, okay, if that dude's a realtor, in theory, in theory, I could say, you just use a hateful, harassing speech. And the guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? I didn't, there was no intent. There was no right. put down. There's right. nothing. But I go, but you're white. So therefore you have implicit bias. You're unconsciously racist. And therefore that statement is harassing. So I would push, I'd push back on that a little bit yeah. um, based on, like I said earlier, the real focus is not just something that's offensive, but something that is intended to be weaponized and intentionally hurt. So I will acknowledge there are a lot of people that say things that they don't realize what they're saying is offensive. I mean, and that, I think that's the second problem is say, okay, yes, I know, like, but I'm hurt. In other words, you said this thing about kimchi, Right. right? And you're like, you're not even thinking anything of it. And I'm like, but I'm really hurt. I'm really offended. You denigrated my culture. And right. because you're white, you have implicit bias. And therefore, you're guilty. And I think, so I guess what I'm getting at is, isn't it better? You're right. You don't know. We don't, I don't, none yeah. of us know. Isn't it better if we're going to go down this path for NAR to explicitly create some new statement that says you will reject any implicit bias theories when it's it comes like to the biggest intent. that is the biggest gaping hole you could give anybody because then everybody would go implicit bias theory is very clear right the idea is that right. you know what i mean it's like, very clear like you know there's nothing very clear anymore man all right well <laughs> that's true all, I, I grant you that so then maybe we don't i don't know what do we think does nar need to specifically say you are not to take implicit bias into consideration i i think that that may be something that would be helpful and I will say in consideration that is good. I think in put, you know, maybe something on that, right? Maybe you have to, and that could be part of the training, right? You say that these guys are trained. Maybe, maybe they have to be trained in that, that, that type of awareness of awareness of, yeah, correct. So, and I will say, you know, one thing that NAR has been very clear in their resources on is what is a violation cannot simply be offensive to one person. So Rob, you being offended by right. somebody not liking the smell of kimchi is not enough to necessarily make it hate speech or harassing speech. And there have been lots of Q and A's and lots of videos that are put out that really do talk about, it's not just about, I personally am offended by what was said. It has to go broader than that. Unfortunately, it's it's really hard to, yeah. to come up with one specific case and to find rules and to find lines. As a lawyer, I, I like black and white because it makes things easy. But if, as a lawyer, black and white means I'm out of a job, right? Exactly, right. <laughs> so um, I, I will say, and, and you know. And I'm offended I, and by I, you using those two colors, black and white, instead of two. <laughs> <laughs> Implicit bias. There we go. Um, What's wrong with I, brown I and white? That's <laughs> this is, I mean, this is something that I think hearing panels are going to have to grapple with and that it's not going to be always easy because I think there are also people that are going to look at something and go, I personally am offended by that as a, as a member of the hearing panel. So I want to, or I think this person needs sensitivity training. Therefore, we're going to find a violation so that we can require them to take education. And I think that's where it's going to fall back on the chairs of these committees and the staff liaisons to these committees to really make sure that the panels know 
just because you think this person did something that maybe doesn't feel good, doesn't sound good, you don't like it, doesn't mean that you can just jump straight to making them take a class. You need to, you need to really focus on, is this hate speech, harassing speech, epithets or slurs based on one of the protected categories that was intended to harm the person? And, and intended is a very hard concept for people to grapple with. Yep. And, and I don't harm have the person answers. is subjective, right? Because like you said, it, it doesn't right. have to be one person, but it could be like, you know, I and 10 people feel harmed and offended. And then there's a line drawing, like, you know, is it one, is it two people, is it 10 people? Right. Do What's we need to number? do a survey, right? It's like, hey, is this word offensive to uh, gays and lesbians? Do we need to do a survey? Is it enough that six gays and lesbians say that, oh yeah, that's that's really offensive? Like, it just gets really crazy, right? It does. So, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard in the beginning to grapple with this. So let me ask you one question before I move on to the other stuff that I'm just like, oh Yeah. <laughs> In your experience, obviously, you know, the, the decades that you've spent doing things like professional mm -hmm. standards, are realtors actually like, are they trained? Is this something that they can actually do? Because the stuff that we're talking about are things that like courts get involved with. Yep. And they, like judges, you know, lawyers who do this stuff for a living, they have a really tough time trying to discern all of this. I mean, do you think volunteer leadership who's been in, you know, doing this for like one year, that even with whatever training NA offers, could they actually do this? I think yes. So what I will say is our professional standards liaison for Virginia Realtors is an attorney. Uh, and she and I have spent a lot of time, you know, from the time this was announced, and we're still having these conversations about making sure that the panel, the you know, the grievance panel, the hearing panel, and the board of directors are not solely made up of new people to professional standards. That they're that we have a mix of some newer people, some people that have moderate experience and some very experienced people. And that we're going to be very, very intentional about the panels that are selected for cases revolving around 10-5. Mm -hmm. And I think that's gonna be true of all associations, that everybody is understands that these are hard issues to grapple with. I think a lot of associations now, if they didn't already now have diversity and inclusion groups, committees, PAGs, whatever you want to call them. And, and I will say when I presented to our presidential advisory group, I asked all of them to go to our training and become involved in our professional standards uh, process because they're already grappling with these issues in other ways. And I think that gives them more experience when it comes to professional standards. They'll have already kind of worked through some of the con the concerns. And I mm -hmm. think that a lot of associations are doing similar things. Okay. Yeah, you know what I was caught by Rob is that it seems like NAR has been ahead of this kind of stuff a lot more than I mean, just right now, the country's, you know, wrestling with the with the concept of do private organizations have the right to limit speech or yeah. limit things of people on their platform. Right. And you could say yep. a platform yeah. could be an association. Right. You know, Twitter yep. famously and Facebook and these kind of things are now and, and people are outraged. Well, that's free speech. And, and everybody, you know, forgets that the government can't, you know, limit you. But right. um, I, I don't know about you guys, but ever since I've been a kid, I've seen signs in restaurants and otherwise it says we reserve the right to refuse service to anybody. That's true. No, shirt, no shoes, no service. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So those those concepts, sometimes I think people are getting confused by, but NAR, if you think about it, has really, this has been way ahead of, uh, of, of what's going on. It's been caused by some recent events, right? So it's, it's interesting right. to, to kind of look at it that way. 
Yeah. And I will say we get that question a lot. How is this not violate my free my First Amendment free speech rights? Well, yeah. we're not the government. That's yeah. right. So and and I don't want to get down a total rabbit hole. So I'll just <laughs> mention it and I'll say I'm going to write something and then maybe have Laura back. But you're exactly right except that we then have to talk about Norwood versus Harrison and we have to talk about uh, railway versus Hanson. Oh yeah, railway or Hanson. What's the impact the of all that? Anyway, yeah. but I want to move on because I you know, I don't I know we don't have all the time in the world because the other aspect of 105 that I found super interesting, but I've now heard you know both like you're you're right and the or you're crazy. And this has to do with the public trust definition changes, right? Mm -hmm. Which what you mentioned. I thought it was really significant that these changes remove the word willful yep. from discrimination. And I'm told on the one hand, well, yeah, now subconscious, unconscious discrimination is going to get you reported. And mm -hmm. I've also heard that's just ridiculous. That will never happen. I mean, so so maybe I'll just ask you, Laura, because you're the expert. What is the significance of NAR removing the word willful from discrimination? And she doesn't know that, but I mean, her interpretation. Yeah, I, I don't, right, I, right, right. I'm not on the NAR committee. I'm yeah, not on the right. NAR staff, so I don't know. But what she's they about were as expert speaking. as gets. So I'm just asking uh, your opinion. Yeah. What What I would say is that when it comes to fair housing from the government, willful is not required, right? And there are some people in this country, but there are very few people in this country that are going to come in and say yes, I willfully did that. I I knew it was wrong, and I intended to do it, and I stand by what I did, right? I think that people seeing all the, the the individuals that are losing their jobs because of what they've done, what they've said publicly, a lot of people are now, even if these are their beliefs, they're not as vocal about them. There's still plenty out there. And so I think that meeting that standard of willful discrimination is very difficult. And on top of that, if if realtors are holding themselves out and saying, we hold ourselves to a higher standard, we are better than just the average real estate licensee, then it makes sense to have this either HUD or the state version of the Fair Housing Board or whatever investigate and, and respond to discrimination claims. You know, this does require that there was a hearing there was uh, a finding that there was discrimination and that that decision was reviewed by the board of directors. So it was, it requires quite a bit to get to the point that it would be reported to the state licensing authority. But if realtors are going to say we are holding ourselves to a higher standard, I think it kind of makes sense to remove that willful. Okay. So that leads to my next question, which is something I wrote a whole post about, which is how then do we not get into disparate impact analysis for realtor activities? when it comes to discrimination. Well, and remember it's discrimination related to real estate activities. Correct. So how do so, we not get into disparate impact analysis when it comes to discrimination related to real estate activities? Why don't you explain Meaning, that for our listeners, disparate, I mean. Oh boy, I'm gonna, Laura, do you wanna give it yeah, a shot? I mean, I could try, sure. but yeah. I, I will I will cover it quickly. So disparate impact is when something is not over, does not overtly violate fair housing, but because of the way it is applied can create. So the example we give when we teach disparate impact is saying that you're going to refuse to rent your house to somebody who cooks with curry. And you're saying that I don't want to do that because the smell of curry can permeate the floor, you know, the carpet in the walls, and then it's the whole unit smells and it's hard to clean it up. Well, 
when we say somebody who cooks with curry, you're not probably thinking of somebody who looks like me, which is a white woman. You're probably thinking of somebody of a particular ethnicity. Now, cooking with curry is not limited to somebody of a specific ethnicity, but it is going to have an even greater burden on a particular um, group of people from a specific national origin than just the general population. So when we talk about disparate impact, it's going to impact one group disproportionately because of their status. Okay. Right. right. So okay. the examples that I use are things like requiring pre-approval, mm -hmm. regardless of race, right? Under disparate impact analysis, that is discrimination. It could be, yeah. Right. Now, I, I will say that there are certain exemptions to disparate impact when it is tied very narrowly to a specific financial need or reason. Right. Okay. So, but it, it, you have to go through it, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things like, why did we remove Wolf? Is it simply because fair housing under the current sort of disparate impact analysis Supreme Court has approved? Yep. It doesn't require willful, so we said, let's just copy that. I don't know what NAR's thought process behind that was, except like I said, I when they talk about realtors are holding themselves to a higher standard, that's kind of what I'm thinking is the thought behind it. I don't know right. if there was other other justifications for it. Okay. So that was one, and I could go through like examples that I cited, you know, yeah. like I, because I'm looking at this whole thing going, I feel like anybody who's doing luxury real estate has to think about disparate impact now. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, yeah. you know, if you're only advertising in like luxury magazines and high end magazines, like, well, you know, there may be people who could afford to buy that, but they don't even know about it because you don't advertise them. Right. I mean, that's a problem. If you say, I'm only listing houses that are in the upper 5% in a given yeah. zip code, that's disparate impact. You are not offering your services to as many black and brown people because statistically, they don't own as many top 5% luxury homes. So let's just take that as an example. How do you think a hearing panel would look at that under this new new analysis? So I, I would go back to the new standard of practice prohibits you from using hate speech, harassing speech, epithets, or slurs. And if I'm only marketing, I agree that there may be a disparate impact, but marketing- so this, this is separated, right? Because oh, this oh, is sorry. a changes in the, uh, the, oh, the, the uh, well, what's it called? To the public, definition of yeah. public trust. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but again, you've got to go back to what is the definition of, you know, what does Article 10 prohibit mm -hmm. and how does that then tie in? And I, I think that there's still an issue there as far as meeting the, making there a, a violation of Article right. so, 10. So let, let me give it a shot, right? Article okay. 10 prohibits discrimination in real estate practice, right? You cannot discriminate. Yep. Okay. We now have a change to public trust deficits. Therefore, if you discriminate against black and brown people in practice of real estate without willful, right? So you're unintentionally discriminate, that is a violation of public trust. Well, but so the exact language of Article 10 says realtors shall not deny equal professional services to any person Correct. for reasons of race, color. Well, Correct. Correct. you know, it doesn't talk about, I'm not denying equal professional services. Yeah, under willful, under the old definition, under the new one, what I'm saying is if you are a luxury agent and you only list homes in the top 5%, mm -hmm. you are denying your services to black and brown people under disparate impact. Am I like, I, again, people have told me I'm crazy. <laughs> well, it, it, well, and here's the other thing, though, that disparate impact is something that has been put forward by HUD and approved by the court system. Sure. And it deals with the Fair Housing Act. Sure. 
Article 10 of the Code of Ethics, while we call it the fair housing article because it kind of covers the same types of things, it doesn't have the same protections. And, and as far as I'm aware, there is no interpretation or guidance regarding a disparate impact in the application of Article 10. So just like NAR can have extra protected classes, they can have it apply in a different way than than HUD or right. the Fair Housing Office would. So I don't I don't know that you could automatically apply disparate impact to Article 10. Okay. I guess we need a test case. Yeah, we, we, we do. And I, I, I tell you what, after we get off this and when I've got some time later, I'm probably going to kill some brain cells uh, <laughs> going through that exercise with the, with the other attorneys okay. in my department of, Hey guys, yeah. let's, let's walk through this and see if yeah. we can come up with an answer so that if we do get this question, Rob, Rob is capable of killing brain cells on many, many different various <laughs> Yo, ways. Yo man, I, I'm just like bourbon, you know, I'm just like tequila. <laughs> All right. And I know we're, we're, we're running short on time. Should we bring it to some, just the current events? Yeah. I mean, cause that's, I think people, let's, we can wrap and oh wrap up with that. And then, uh, yeah, let's get, let's get fiery. Go yeah. for I it, think right? I'm having some, con- some, some connection issues. I think my, my, phone <laughs> might be, my, my computer might be cutting out. <laughs> oh, I try that all the time, Laura. It never works. It never works. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> what Rob? <laughs> yeah. I'm going through a tunnel right but now. Most, what was that? Mo- mostly when, when I'm losing and which is a lot. <laughs> with Rob. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think it's pretty clear that we have we have never been more divided, you know, I, as a I country, as a society, and quite frankly, as realtor association, right? And when this was first introduced, like that was actually my biggest concern. So to me, this I felt like this, whether correct or incorrect or whatever, it's going to set realtors at each other's throats. And I think since ten five passed, at least judging by social media, that I think that has been proven right. I've never seen realtors just go at each other more than I have in the last, you know, four or five months. And now we have Jenna Ryan. Yep. Now we have all that. And now, like, I just put up a post. I got to tell you, I've, I'm at 18 deleted comments and counting because what I said was, look, this is a dilemma. I just want to talk about how realtor association leadership deal with this. And there are 18 comments that are just like, traitor, commie, this, that. How do is this not a flashpoint, Laura, for that division? I, I don't know, and this is something that I've struggled with, and we've I've I've talked to my department about, and I was telling Greg before you we started recording. I live twelve miles from the Capitol building, mm. and I interned on Capitol Hill when I was in college. I used to give tours, and I stood in the rotunda and explained what the different pictures meant, and so to mm. watch. somebody breaking in and to hear about tear gas in that place that was a safe and sacred place for me when I was much younger was very difficult. And I think that individuals who committed acts of violence, who beat a Capitol police officer to death have committed crimes and need to be prosecuted. Do I think that they violated the NAR code of ethics? I don't think so. Unfortunately, the code, Wow. I mean, the code of the code of ethics is not intended to cover all behavior, right? It's intended to cover behavior related to real estate transactions and certain limited other behavior, like what's under Article 10, Standard of Practice 10-5. And I do get that comment from people sometimes of, what do you mean? So it's okay for realtors to commit sedition or to murder people? Well, no, it's not okay for them to do that, but it's not the wheelhouse of NAR to deal with that. We have other entities like courts and 
you know, the court of public opinion to, to address that kind of behavior when it's not related to real estate. But that's the exact same thing that people in the right would say about 10-5. Right, that this is there's court of public opinion, there's courts, there's well, other there's, this things. Is per- this is not NAR's class, business, though. That, that that's related to protected classes, though. Right, uh, and that's that's the difference. That uh, okay, thanks, Laura. When, thank you, look, for, hey, thank hey, you Greg, for that, please. Except that when NAR can define its own protected classes, right? Right, but NAR is also a voluntary organization. That if True. you disagree with this, then you can you, you can, can drop your membership and uh, you what she said what she said, Rob. What she said, yeah. Look, I look, I. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I'm just pointing out like it, there has to be two sides to this. And I know, I feel like I have a lot more friends in the right who are freaked out about this than you do, Greg. And they're freaked out about it, right? So it's not saying they're, they're right or they're wrong. I think my concern is how in the world do we get back to union? How do we get back to yeah. unity? In other words, how do we get back to a few years ago? I remember this. People would walk around and say, I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm realtor party, right? And right. they might disagree with each other over like every social issue on the planet. When it comes to real estate issues, they're like we're together, let's get flood insurance passed. Let's lobby for lower property taxes. Now, I, I don't know if that could happen. I think if you solve that problem, you will be up for the Nobel Prize for spending, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's an easy way to do that. And I don't know whether it's, I think that our society has become very polarized and very confrontational with each other. I don't know that it's, and yes, you see it reflected in, in the realtor community, but I don't know that it's just a realtor issue. And I think that some of these people would still be at each other's throats, even if they were not realtors or members of, of NAR, or even if standard of practice 10-5 had never right. passed. I right. mean, we saw a lot of the disagreements and disputes and fighting that you were mentioning a year ago. Right. You know, 10 months right. ago, well before NAR had announced anything about 10 5. And so I, I don't know how we get back to everybody being part of the realtor party, but I also don't know how we get back to society Every being an American. Right. Mm-hmm. Coming together. Right. And I can disagree with your political stance, but we're at the end of the day, we're all Americans. I don't know how we get there. Right. Right. And that's uh, that's a real hopeful. So let's not try to end on that note because, uh, you know, now I feel like drinking and killing some brain cells. And I think uh, <laughs> it's a little early to be doing that. What is the best possible outcome here with all of this, Laura? I think the best possible outcome with all of this is that as a society, we become more inclusive and that, you know, I am a firm believer in in education as opposed to punishment. And so I'm hoping that just the fact that we're all having these conversations about what 10-5 is is about is going to lead people to being more inclusive. And I will tell you, I have learned a lot about other cultures. I was a military brat. I lived in Korea actually for two years growing up. I lived in Yongsan, Spain. Baby. Yeah. Huh? Yongsan uh, baby. We were in Seoul. Yeah, um, the Yongsan base in Seoul. Yongsan. Like, right? yeah, we, yeah, we were yeah, on yeah. Yongsan. Oh yes. And so <laughs> even though I have traveled the world when I was younger, I. I have still learned a lot about other cultures and other people in the last year that is is really good. And I'm hoping that that's what 10-5 will spark is that people can learn more about each other. And the more you know other people, the less them versus us mentality you have. And, and so I think I, I, I appreciate that too, that this has been set up to be some way of helping educate members, right? That's You talked about that in your video. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing. And then I I look at, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, I mean, has either starting or owning a software company my, my most of my adult life, I look at everything from that standpoint in the case that you got to put something out there. 
you see what happens and then you iterate, right? You, yep. you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the dogs are going to eat, as they say in the business, right? So we have to start- You just called realtors dogs. Yeah. My, my dog will eat anything. <laughs> but you, you just don't know that. So there's a lot of criticism being thrown around everything else. But like, listen, we got to start somewhere. Let's yep. start here and let's go from there. And we can poke holes and everything else. Yes, but let's let's see what works here, right? Let's just not denigrate and and just- throw things at it first. So let's put, let's start here. Let's learn. Let's go forward. Absolutely. Well, all right. I think we're out of time. And again, I apologize for being late, but uh, Laura, it was such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. So Thank if you. people want to find you, if they want to reach you, if they have questions, where would they find you? Uh, the best way is going to be by email since COVID disrupts everything, right? So my email address is lfarley, L-F-A-R-L-E-Y at virginiarealtors.org. I am on Facebook uh, with a, a, an account and you can always visit our website, virginiarealtors.org and find me on the, the staff section and there's a, a button to contact me right there. Awesome. And uh, once again, thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, we are back in 2021. And uh, yeah, we're, we'll see you guys. I'm like, I'm liking this trend of having people on because especially smart people. I mean, it makes us look like we're so, it's so like the the IQ of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Thanks. All right. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of industry relations. Rob and I both appreciate your support. If you can find the time, please visit wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a quick review. It really does help the show. Thanks again. And from Rob and I, be good to each other.